Why don't we just turn uh, in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and I'm just going to pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity just to gather around your word. We thank you that it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. God, it's our guiding light in the things that we do. And we just pray that today your word will be breathed on us by the power of your Holy Spirit. It will be ignited within us. And Father, it will just be transferred from a head knowledge to a real heart knowledge. And we just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. How many people here have been to London? Put your hand up. Yeah, Penny and I had the opportunity of going to London in um, 2000. When I was working for dairy company, I'd had a weekend in London. And I thought, wow, the one place in the world that I'd love to take my wife to is London. And we had that opportunity when we had a sabbatical break. And uh, one of the things about uh, London was the underground system. Now, all the English complain about it. But, uh, you know, they whinge and moan and the like. But it is absolutely amazing i mean we traveled in overland uh, 20 minutes train ride into london liverpool station and it was my job uh, each day to plan the underground route to see how we were going to get to where we wanted to get and you could get a train to within five minutes walk of anywhere that you wanted to go in london but one of the things that i remember about the London undergrounders, you'd be standing on a crowded station, the train would fly in, the doors would open, and then there'd be this voice which would come out and would say, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. In fact, there was a, there's a guy, I googled it, and there's a guy who became absolutely famous because he was the voice that said, mind the gap. And the reality is that between the train and the platform, there's a gap. And, of course, it's a safety issue. They have it written on the platform, as you can see up there, a sign which says, mind the gap. They talk to you about it. And the reality is, if you're going to board a train, you have to get over the gap. You have to get past. You've got to, go, you've got to get over this gap if you're going to go where you want to go. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, in life, there are lots of gaps there are gaps between where we are and where we want to go, and we have to take a step in life to bridge that. If we're going to get to where we want to go, there will be a gap, there'll be something, a barrier, something stopping us that we have to break through in. There's a gap which is only closed by prayer and intercession, for instance. God says, I'm looking for people who will stand in the gap on behalf of the city. In fact, in one instance, he said, I found none. So that gap wasn't closed. There is a gap between the way we think and the way God thinks. There's a gap which is only closed through knowledge. Verse in Daniel says, my people are destroyed through a lack of knowledge. So if we're going to close that knowledge gap, we have to receive something extra. But how many people know that God's thoughts aren't our thoughts? His ways aren't our ways. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Often, God thinks quite differently to the way that we think about, uh, about, for instance, ourselves. How do you see yourself? 
There'll be a gap between how you see yourself and how God sees you. But that's not what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about one of the things that Jesus asks us to pray. He says, pray that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. He says, we're to ask God that the kingdom of God, which is where King Jesus rules and reigns, where his kingdom culture and his kingdom values and his kingdom blessings operate, we're to pray that his kingdom will come into our lives, that it would come into our families, it would come into our church, it would come into our neighborhoods and our city and our nation. And so this morning, I want to talk about one of the greatest hindrances to God's kingdom coming and his will being done in our city. And that is the gulf, that's the gap between how we see our jobs, how we see our work, how we see our careers, how we see our workplace compared to how God sees these things. You see, God sees every one of us as ministers. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you realize you're a minister? You know, we, we, we think of ministers as being clergy. We think of ministers as being uh, people in the pulpit profession. But the reality is the Bible doesn't, doesn't see that. Ministers are God's messengers. Uh, ministers are the ones that take the good news. And every one of us are called as full-time ministers. And as such, he gives all of us ministry gifts. Uh, the problem is that, we, that many people think that the gifts God gives us are spiritual and only to be used in church. But in God's eyes, there has never been a separation between the sacred or spiritual work and what we call secular work. Everything in God's eyes is spiritual. If we're born again of the Spirit of God, then the Holy Spirit is within us. Isn't that right? Now, He doesn't come in when we walk into church. And He doesn't leave when we walk out of this building. But the Holy Spirit is with us 24-7. And the gifts and the talents that He gives us don't come on us when we walk in the door to church and don't leave us when we go out into the world. But they are given primarily... Not to be used in church, but they're given to be used in life. Think about this. And how many people know how many hours there are in a, in a week? 168. It's just one of those useless pieces of information that I thought you'd uh, enjoy. 168 hours in a week. How many do we spend in church? Well, depends on how many services we've got. Just a couple, eh? Really? Of our 168 hours uh, a week, uh, we only spend a few hours in church. We spend 40 plus hours in our vocations and, and at home. So we spend the majority of time, the majority of life at work or school or home as a mum and dad. And if there's one place where we all need to experience God this is one place we need to experience his presence and his power and his anointing and his help. It's where we spend most of our time. It's at home. It's in your vocation. 
And God really cares a lot about your role in life and your job. And let me just start off with um, some of the ladies here this morning who are full-time working at home. Some of you would have followed the career of Ben Carson, who recently stood as a presidential candidate. He became famous as the Christian head of pediatric neurosurgery at John Hopkins University Hospital. And his groundbreaking surgery, which is um, documented in the DVD and the book Gifted Hands, which many of you have seen, uh, was when he sorted out a way to separate twins that were co-joined at the head. Uh, Absolutely amazing. The first person to do it, absolutely brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. This amazingly God-gifted man, when he was younger, was heading in the completely the opposite direction to what God wanted him to be heading in. And actually, it was his godly mum, who was a cleaner, who suffered from depression, who couldn't read or write. It was this mum that changed the direction of Ben's life from a failure at the bottom of the class to success at the top. That mum had every bit as much an input and fruitfulness through Ben's life as what Ben did himself. Mums, you have got an awesome, awesome, awesome calling. Never underestimate what God will do through a faithful mother. In fact, my boys, I'm really proud of my, my sons. The one who spent most of the time with them was Penny. Now, Penny's a trained physiotherapist. She was a tutor of final year students in the Waikato. But also, God gifted her and anointed her as a mum as she relied on him for wisdom and as she prayed into the lives of our boys every day. And I'm quite sure that the fruitfulness that we're seeing in our sons today to a large degree is is because of the faithfulness of my wife to follow the Lord's leading as our children were growing up. So mums, you have an incredibly important vocation and you need supernatural wisdom and power and gifting of God to enable you to fulfill God's plans and purposes for you and your home and your children. You know, as much as God is willing to help you live a godly life, to pray, to worship, to serve him in church, he passionately wants to help you do well in your home and in your vocation. And we have tended to think God is more interested in our service at church, where we see things as being more spiritual than our vocations, but that's not what God's word shows us. In the home and the marketplace, that is where we experience a lot of challenges and setbacks. I mean, for most people, when they come to church on a Sunday morning, it's a pretty good experience, isn't it? Everyone smiles at you. 
Everyone shakes your hand. Everyone's pleased to see you. There aren't too many problems. Although as a pastor, you know, church would be a fantastic place if there wasn't any people. You know, no problems. But for the congregation, it's real easy and it's a great experience. In here is not generally where we experience the pressures of life. In here is not really where we experience the problems of life. It's out there when we walk out those doors and we actually have to live life in the power of the Holy Spirit that we need more of God. It's in the home and the marketplace that we need to know God is with us and that we are anointed to excel. In fact, Ed Silvozo, who's written a number of books on this whole subject, uh, says that our primary call is not to build the church. Our primary call is to take the kingdom of God where the kingdom of darkness is still entrenched in order for Jesus to build his church. And I just totally agree with that. See, we're all full-time ministers. Each of us can be supernaturally anointed for work, and we can have a supernatural vocation. When Jesus chose his disciples, not one of them was a rabbi or a priest. They're all marketplace. They're all workers. They were fishermen or farmers. There was a doctor. There was a public servant. Well, I say a public servant. He was a tax collector. Uh, But there was a whole bunch of guys, and none of them were trained clergy. Uh, R.C. Spool uh, says the cradle of the church was the marketplace. From the preaching and the public ministry of Jesus to the daily acts of the apostles, the central scene wasn't the church gathering, but it was actually the marketplace. It's where Jesus and the early church did most of their miracles. In fact, I looked up of the 132 public appearances of Jesus in the New Testament, 122 of them were in the marketplace. Of Jesus' 52 parables, 45 had a workplace context. The leaders of the early church were all marketplace workers. And I want to suggest to you this morning that they were anointed for ministry in the marketplace. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31 and verse 1. I want to tell you about a guy called Bezalel. Anyone ever heard of him? Not one of the highlights, is he? Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. He's one of the few guys in the Old Testament that we see the word declares that they were filled with the Spirit of God. What were they filled with? The Spirit of God with skill with ability and knowledge and all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. He was filled with the presence of God in a way that a lot of people in the Old Testament weren't, and he was anointed specifically When you ask people who's your favorite Bible character, no one says Bezalel. We prefer champions like Moses, Joseph, David, Esther, Deborah. But this guy was raised up by God and anointed for ministry under God in the marketplace. You see, he was the chief architect in building the tabernacle. And that's the place in the Old Testament where the presence of God 
dwelt on earth. And God anointed Bezalel to work with his hands. He was gifted for manual labor. God hadn't called him to preach. God didn't call him and gift him to be a music leader or worshiper. Uh, He didn't have a job in the church or temple and the leadership there. God called him to be a builder. How many builders have we got here this morning? Yeah, we've got a couple of them, I know. And God needed men like Moses, needed men like Aaron, needed men like Joshua, but he needed Bezalel. The work God called him to do in the marketplace needed a special anointing and a special task. Moses was anointed to set a nation free. Joshua had the spirit of conquest on him. Jeremiah was mantled to be a prophet. Bezalel was anointed for design and building. And God chose him to build a special place where his presence would abide in the tabernacle. And God has called and anointed you to build a place where his presence can dwell in your workplace, in your home, in your school, in your university. Wherever God has placed you, he wants you to build a place for him. And he's especially anointed us to do that. It's our territory to conquer. Gets better. Bezalel's name means under God's shadow. How cool is that? He was working under the shadow of the Almighty. And he had huge success. God's will for you and your vocation is to function under the shadow of the Almighty. That will make us successful in whatever job God has assigned us to do. Bezalel exceeded in his job. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says this, As each one has received a gift, it's each one has received a gift, Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I'm not trying to in any way diminish our service and our ministry to the body of Christ here. But what I am trying to do is to open up your mind to see that God has called you and wants to anoint you to minister in a place where others of us can't go. Now, let's take Jared, for instance, on the sound. It takes a special gifting to be able to do a good job of the sound system. Because if he does a bad job, I can spend two days preparing a message for you to hear, 
and all of you are going to be distracted. Because there'll be feedback and it'll sound horrible and, uh, and you won't last. But because he has gifted in that area, he can serve us, the body of Christ, here on a Sunday morning. And he's a blessing to us, even though most of the time you don't even see him. And that's one of the things about ministry in the body of Christ. Most of the ministry is unseen. Most of it's behind the scenes. But Jared only spends two hours a week or so in church. The rest of the time, he's out in the marketplace, working as an electrician, working in different areas. And just as God has anointed him for service in the body here on Sunday, he's also anointed him for ministry, for work out in the marketplace. And he wants him to do a good job. I look over and I see Bryce, a carpenter. And you know that he has been anointed and skilled to work with his hands and he does a great job of it. We all need to be like that. We need supernatural anointing and we need supernaturally anointed people in every area of life. I think there's a, a slide there which um, depicts some of the areas that um, we need God-anointed people in. We need them in the justice system. We need them in health. We need them in education. We need them in arts. We need them in sports. If any of you have watched the New Zealand Sevens, for instance, who's the captain of the Sevens? Who used to be the captain? DJ Forbes is the captain of the Sevens. He transformed the culture of that team because he's a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. They all pray before the match. They pray after it. There's a culture that has been developed because one man had a heart for God and was able to use his God-given skills to bring the kingdom of God into that area of sport. Government. We need more Christian politicians. We need people whom the Spirit of God dwells. We need people who will have an ear to hear what God is saying so that the direction that we move in as a country is the direction that God wants us to move in. But we've seen a whole generation who have thought that work in the marketplace is second degree. We've seen a whole generation who thought of people in the pulpit as being more important than people in the marketplace, which isn't so. It actually says in Ephesians, talking about the ascension gifts, that the whole purpose of the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist is to train up the body of Christ. To minister so that ministers will go out into every area. We can expect God to do things in our vocation that will leave us astounded. I think there are, there are four main levels of approach or Christian involvement in the marketplace. Um, there are those who are just trying to survive at work. And I've been there. You get into some situation. I remember when I first got a job 
with New Zealand Dairy, I was just trying to survive. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I was just trying to survive. Then there are those that apply biblical principles to their work. Okay, that's, that's good. Third, third stage are those that do their work in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And finally, there are those that are committed to transformation of their workplace. When I was working in industry, I think I, uh, I started off at level one. And as I grew in the things of God, I tried to apply biblical principles uh, to my workplace. And then I came, I sort of broke through and started to work at level three. And that was where the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit just really, really came on me. And I had words of wisdom. I had words of knowledge. I achieved breakthroughs in technical areas, which is still in use today. And I look back on that and I think, "Mm, I never did move into level four because nobody ever told me that uh, my job, one of the callings that God had on my life was to transform the place that I worked. Now, I had an impact on the people that I was working with, but I never saw my workplace totally transformed. And that's something uh, which we can all aim at but we've got to move from one level to another and as Christ's ambassadors we have power and authority to redeem businesses to redeem education to redeem government structures and systems no matter what level we are working in we can move to the next level as we move towards a supernatural transformation of our workplace. God wants to anoint us for breakthrough in our place of work. I recently read the biography of a chap by the name of George Washington Carver. Anyone ever heard of him? George Washington Carver? Mm. He was an absolutely brilliant man who saved the southern United States at the turn of the uh, 20th century. Uh, from absolute disaster. Uh, He revolutionized agricultural science with his cultivation of soil-enriching crops, such as peanuts and soya beans, to basically revive the earth that had been depleted of nutrients from uh, cotton farming, which was the predominant crop back in those days. He discovered over 100 uses for the sweet potato. He discovered 300 uses for the peanut, including beverages, cosmetics, dyes, paints, medicines, food products. And I think he was the inventor of nitroglycerine. Uh, He said, listen to what he says. He said, I only take one book into my laboratory, the Bible. And I've never invented anything. God has just revealed to me what was in the peanut. How amazing is that? He said, I've never been without this consciousness of the creator speaking to me. The outdoors has been to me more and more a great cathedral in which God could continuously, uh, could be continuously spoken to and heard from. This guy was brilliant, God-anointed, was born in 1864, 
as a Negro slave. He was kidnapped as a young boy with his mother and sister. Uh, He never saw his mother and sister again. But he was rescued from kidnappers. And he, against all the odds, against all the negative attitudes and prejudices of the time, listened to God, broke through, and if you would just uh, if you'd Google his name and look up his biography, you'll be absolutely amazed at his life. But he was a man of science because he was a man of God. And so can you. It doesn't matter what profession you have. God's got you in a place. You can bring the kingdom of God in an increasing measure, into that place. I love talking about young people. I love talking to young people and encouraging them to dream big in terms of what God can do in their lives. To have a look and see what their strengths are, what their desires are, what, um, what God has built into them because God's got stuff for you to do. Now, it doesn't mean that there is one career that you're going to have for life and that's the only career that God will bless but God can take those gifts that he's given you and as you work at them to hone them he can multiply their effectiveness in bringing the kingdom of God into the places that you go I look at I look at Jeremy I haven't got any contact in the police force. I'm not rubbing shoulders with those guys on a regular basis. Thank goodness. But he can. He can bring godly insight into situations, certain circumstances. Murray on the farm. You know, you, you are not in your vocations just to earn money to prop up the church. You're in your vocations to bring the kingdom of God into an area where the kingdom of God isn't ruling and reigning. I love hearing stories of Christian people working in the marketplace and the way that God is blessing them. And uh, I'm going to get Alan and Judy to just come up for a second because uh, they, they started off a business at exactly the wrong time. Just when worldwide finances crashed, they started up a new venture, a cafe. And I don't know whether you guys had ever run a cafe before. No, never. Why on earth would you do that? Why would you start up something that you hadn't ever done before at a time when everything else is crashing round about you? Well, come on up, guys. And just tell us a little bit about what God's been doing. Yeah, why would we do it? <laughs> I mean, everybody around us told us that we were just must have been crazy. I mean, there was a, a world financial crash, and we were going to put all our resources into something we didn't know that we were doing. But you know, God knew what he was doing. He had placed a word in us, and he'd given us faith, and um, you know, we believed in what God was showing us. And it didn't just start sort of 
right there and then. It actually started some years back. We'd been dreaming about community. I mean, both Alan and I have been involved in the community in some form most of our working lives, but we actually wanted to do something together in the community, but we had no idea what it was. We tried something. Um, We worked towards something, but the doors actually closed on that. And so as the years went on, we just kept dreaming it. And of course, back then, Alan wasn't a Christian. So I just kept praying and asking God, well, God, you'll show us where you want us to be. And you know, it was amazing because God eventually started putting us together with strategic people. And um, one of those people was actually Helen, who's um, now our daughter-in-law. But another one was a person who um, had contacts with the place where Essence now sits. And that's a whole other testimony and story in itself. But from that, we knew that we were going into hospitality. So we ventured off around New Zealand doing a feasibility study because we knew nothing about this, so we needed to get our, our you know, hands on it and our minds in the right place about it. So we began asking God, and he gave us a heart, gave us the heart and a list of things that were, were um, non-negotiables. We had to have these things on the list, um, not just a few of them, we had to have all of them. But the most important one that we found as we went around New Zealand was we wanted a place with atmosphere. And at this point, there was no other cafe in Whangarei that had the atmosphere with God's presence. So our passion was to run this God-crazy idea at a time when it should not have happened and to cultivate an environment where people could come and soak in the presence of God and enjoy good food and excellent coffee. We suddenly opened the doors and found ourselves in an oasis place in our city. It was agreed that I would work in the day-to-day operations of of the business. God took my natural abilities of um, people skills and business skills and supernaturally anointed those skills. All of the staff, Christian and non-Christian, know our heart and what we were about. They are gifted uniquely to serve as we are. God has blessed us with good staff. Our aim was to promote Jesus Christ within our community by serving with enthusiasm, compassion, in a non-threatening environment. As a new Christian, I quickly learned that prayer alone was not enough. (laughs) <laughs> and that I had to be doing as well as praying. God was pointing us in the right direction daily and providing for us. Customers, in confidence, regularly came in um, after a while, uh, regularly came in and, and shared with us their health, business and family issues. We pray for them whenever possible, either in the cafe or we've even gone to their home place. Um, and we have staff meetings regularly, and we pray as a group for, for, the, for these um, customers. Often these people would not come to church for prayer in the first instance. We have seen some amazing, amazing healings. We discern who to talk to about Jesus, and some of these have started a journey of faith. All our staff, Christian and non-Christian, pray together daily, 
and where possible are part of, part of praying with customers. Some of our staff over the years have given their life to Christ. Customers regularly say to uh, me, Alan, there's a great atmosphere here today in the cafe, to which I respond, and what do you think that is? And so a great discussion can begin from that. I just want to share just a very quick testimony of a couple that we're working with at the moment. She's actually um, got cancer, and... um, She's, her and her husband come into the cafe quite regularly. We've built a relationship with them over the eight years that we've been in the business. And um, she started to share with Ellen about her condition. And Ellen had known her husband um, previous years back. But this couple came in one day, and I just happened to pop into the cafe, and they were sitting in the front, and they did look really down and forlorn. And um, Ellen said, we need to pray for them. Um, she'd just been um, told that the cancer that she had was going to need some pretty rough treatment, basically. Um, so, and her husband's not a Christian. She, she's a believer, but he's not a Christian. So we took these couple out into our kitchen area. Health and safety, please don't judge us. Um, <laughs> but we took them into the kitchen where we um, all gathered around them and prayed for them. There was four Christians and two of our unsaved un- staff members at this stage and we we began to pray for them and the the I mean we're waiting for miracles to happen but the amazing thing was what happened in the staff and what happened in that unsaved guy this is a journey that's in progress so you know basically we've just simply taken what God's placed in our hands and we've just let him breathe on it and we've just let him multiply for his glory you know, and there's been a real big cost for Alan and I, but we chose to let Jesus um, work through us. You know, in effect, we've just picked up our cross and we've simply followed him. We've just walked into the marketplace with him. Yeah. Fantastic. So, just as the musicians come, so I think above all else, if you get the one thing this morning that you're a marketplace minister, that God wants to anoint you for work outside of these four walls, even more so than he wants to anoint you for work inside these four walls. Now, it's one thing to have the head knowledge of this, it's another thing for God to write it on the fleshy table of your heart. Some of, some of us, for a time, might be thinking, yeah, I believe that, but it's not in my heart yet. There's a verse in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, which the Apostle Paul is speaking to young Timothy, his protege, and he says this. He says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. There is a transference. There is an anointing that can be received by the laying on of hands. As um, Pastor Tark was praying about Church Unlimited, One of the words that God 
gave them, and uh, I've a whole list of prophetic words that have been spoken over Church Unlimited, was supernatural vocation. Supernatural vocation. And I believe that's something that uh, God wants every one of us to experience, whether it's mums at the home, whether it's teachers, whether it's lawyers, whether it's farmers, whether it's hygienists, whether it's workers at the um, oil refinery. No matter what it is, God wants his anointing to be so strongly on you that you'll be carrying the presence of God in the situation. You'll be carrying the culture of the kingdom of God in those situations, which would otherwise be situations of darkness. 